This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. Today's episode is one I've been excited about for a really long time. Uh, First, I hope, though, that you are enjoying the Chicago Marathon recap series. We're doing two episodes a week on top of the Friday episodes. So this week, we posted up episodes with Emily Sisson, who just ran the American record at the Chicago Marathon, and Sarah Vaughn, who placed seventh and ran a personal best time there. We have two more coming out next week and two more the following week as well. And we'll keep to our regular Friday episodes. So this conversation, I have wanted to interview Alicia Vargo for years now. Totally have pressed pause on it though because she has had a lot going on. She is a very busy woman and she's had a lot of big things happen in her life. And so, I don't know, I sometimes just want to give people space when they're walking through things. And so Alicia ran for Stanford. She's a two-time NCAA 10,000 meter champion. She finished fourth at the Olympic trials in the 10,000. And more recently, she has done more trail and mountain running. Actually, after the birth of her first daughter, she ran the fastest known woman time rim to rim in the Grand Canyon, which is a really big deal. So Alicia was married to Ryan Shea, who tragically lost his life at the 2007 Olympic trials in the marathon. And we talk about that part of her life quite a bit in this episode. We also talk about her life now. She's married to a wonderful man, Chris Fargo, and they are the parents to four children. And there's some heartache in that story too that Alicia will share in this episode. I have watched her from afar walk through some really difficult things and I've always been super intrigued by her resilience and I've always just wanted to know more about her. So I'm really grateful that she so openly and honestly shared her story. She is also a coach and she'll share in this episode that she is excited about what might be around the corner for her own running once she's done with this baby phase of her life. Uh, Friends, this episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker. Whether you are a big runner, you like to ride your bike, whatever it is you are doing to push your body, it's really important to know what's going on inside your body so that you can compete and train to the best of your abilities. I would hate to put all this time and energy into training and know that I could optimize certain things and it could be so much better. Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking to identify where you are optimized and where you're not. I did my panel with Inside Tracker and my ferritin was not super low, but it was low enough that the dietitian I spoke with on this podcast told me, hey, if I were training for a marathon, I'd go ahead and take a supplement and and get it up a little bit because you'll feel better. So that's what I'm doing. I am taking, it's Hemaplex. That is the specific iron supplement that Maddie Alm, who is a dietitian that's been on this podcast, uh, recommended. I love the Inside Tracker breaks down every single thing, tells you where you're optimized, where where you're not, and also gives you specific nutrition information on how you can better fuel your body based on what your results said. So the good news is you all can save 20% 
at Inside Tracker for your next blood test when you go to insidetracker.com slash another. Go into that specific URL, insidetracker.com slash another will get you 20% off for a limited time. You can also use the code another to get that 20% off if you don't go to that exact landing page. All right, friends, please enjoy my conversation with Alicia Fargo. All right. Well, today on I'll Have Another, we have Alicia Vargo on the show. Welcome to the show, Alicia. Oh, thank you for having me. I've known about you through so many different other people and mutual friends, so it's um, it's an honor to finally get to chat with you. You know, I have wanted to have you on the podcast for so many years. Um, I remember listening to you on Billy Yang's podcast. I remember I was on the treadmill at the Ursay Y downtown Indianapolis <laughs> listening to you and your husband Chris on his oh, show. And I always wanted to have you on, but I always felt like you had a lot of heavy stuff going on in your life. And I was like, I'm just going to like let it ride for a little bit. And I'm so I've I've so been looking forward to this, not just like this week and the past few weeks when we've been planning it, but for years Oh, that's sweet of you. <laughs> well, I'm I'm happy to finally be here chatting with you and hopefully we'll make it out to Indiana soon so we can meet up in person at some point. I was just talking to our mutual friend Erica and she said that she met up with you in Bloomington and you guys went to the Inkwell. Yep. Yeah, the infamous Inkwell. So, and my in-laws just bought a place in Bloomington, so, or they're moving back to Bloomington, so I'm sure we'll be back in the area soon. Inkwell is so good. I actually just went for the first time last summer. Yeah, it's great. It's, uh, it lived up to all the hype, all the Indiana (laughs) local hype. (laughs) Um, so you're also married to Chris Fargo, who is from my hometown, another random connection we have. Yeah. Yep. Um, that I didn't realize when I met Chris just how strong like the Indiana, Bloomington, Hoosier roots w- were until I started kind of meeting like all the extended friends and family. And um, yeah, it's cool to kind of have that be a part of our lives now. So you and Chris live in Flagstaff with your three babies. We, um, yeah, we actually lived in Flagstaff. I was there for 14 years and we recently moved to Breckenridge, Colorado. So okay. that's our new home. You know, mm-hmm. I saw that on your Strava profile and I was like, um, is that from like so long ago? Did, did she, has she not updated her Strava in like 20 years? <laughs> no, no. Yeah. We actually just, uh, made a move about a year and a half ago out to Breckenridge. So it was kind of a big life change, family change for us. Why did you decide to move to Breckenridge? We, it, it was a, a few different reasons. Um, I think the thing that maybe set the, the thought into motion of moving is we went to, um, we were, spent some time in Chamonix, France for part of a summer and it just kind of blew our minds and we came back to Flagstaff and we're like, oh wow, like, we just really craved like that mountain lifestyle that we were immersed in in the Alps. And it just kind of, I don't know, I think it made us feel like a maybe a little bit not bored with the mountains that were there, but we just, we wanted more. Like we just wanted to be in the mountains more and have that be more a part of our lives. So that kind of set the the idea into motion. And then um, in 
2019, we lost our son, Kai, our, um, our baby Kai. And it just kind of put us in a mindset of, we're like, you know, this life is so fragile. Like, why not? Why sit around and think about the things you want to do? Just We just need to do them. So we started exploring options of where we wanted to move and where we wanted to raise our family. And um, Chris had also just started working as a firefighter. And the firefighting um, department here in Breckenridge and Summit County is like one of the best mountain town fire departments that you could possibly work for. So he started pursuing working with them. And um, so, yeah, it was just kind of a variety of reasons that led us to Breckenridge. That's so good. I, I think that everybody needs to hear that. Like, why are we thinking about what we want to do? Why yeah. aren't we like, even if you can't make this big, massive move, like there are like things you can do to kind of like incorporate those dreams into your life. Absolutely. And I, I don't know, it was just kind of, I think made us not afraid to just mm. go for it. And we're like, all right, if we want this certain lifestyle for our family, then we just need to make it happen instead of 10 years from now, 15 years from now, wishing that we would have made a change. So yeah, we just were, we, we went for it. And I think also too, we were going through a pretty difficult time. Um, and I think that oftentimes, you know, if you're going through, whether it be a tragedy or, you know, you're, you're dealing with grief or you're dealing with mental illness or uh, physical issues, it can be very isolating. You can feel very alone. And I think that we were definitely in that place individually. And then in our, within our marriage and our family unit, we just felt really alone with like the difficulty we were going through. So yeah, we we're like, let's go somewhere else and let's just make a community where we go and just change something like things are not feeling right. So let's just go somewhere and, and change it and um, not just kind of sit here and like sink into this sadness. So, I mean, you have been through so much tragedy in your life. It's like when I look at your story and think about your story, I think about like, man, this woman has lived multiple lifetimes in her 40 years or however old you are, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I wish that that, that wasn't, <laughs> kind of wasn't, wasn't my experience and wasn't my story, but it is. And um, I think that, you know, like I said, you can kind of either just sink into it and let it consume you, or you can just try to do what you can to at least bring joy and love and happiness into your life and in the ways that you're capable, like in that moment. So I think that's what I've tried to do. And that's what Chris has been, you know, really helpful with, um, you know, kind of helping direct our family in that process as well. Um, so we're, you know, we're just trying, like everybody, we're just trying to, to do our best and, um, thankfully have this like beautiful little family to, to keep us, keep us in motion and on our toes. <laughs> and you guys take Kai with you everywhere you go. I know you think about him. Yeah. It's kind of hard to put into words, but like he will always be a part of our family and he's, it, it's like a, a presence and also kind of like a weight that you just feel like every moment. Um, so 
I think that you can either kind of let that like weigh you down, which it definitely does sometimes, or what we try to do is like, let it help us be really present in what we do have right in front of us. And that's like, you know, Skylar, Madeline and Brayden um, and just, you know, loving them in a way that like, we wish we could also love Kai, you know, I think that probably a lot of parents that lose children, I can see how it can be difficult to be so consumed by the loss of the one child that you just, it's hard to be there for your other children, you know, you're just so consumed by that. So we're, we're trying to constantly like balance that, but Kai is definitely with us for sure. Yeah. And you, Brayden and Madeline, they came quickly and Madeline is seven months old. Yeah. Seven months old. You are, you are a busy woman. Yeah. So we're, yeah, we're in the full on diaper bottles everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Are you still coaching? I am still coaching. Yes. Okay. What does that look like? So what that looks like is I've, I want to say I'm on my 12th year of coaching. Um, I initially started coaching through the Run Smart Project with some good friends of mine from Flagstaff or friends of people from Flagstaff. Um, And then um, I also started my own coaching business. And, you know, it's kind of evolved over the years and grown and then kind of shrunk a little bit with COVID and lack of childcare. And then um, (laughs) as childcare is you know, kind of been a little bit easier the past year or so I've started to kind of grow my own coaching business back up. And I have, as my own running has evolved, um, I've kind of expanded from just coaching road runners and track runners to now mountain and ultra runners. And so I have the whole spectrum of teenagers to masters athletes from track athletes to um, ultra runners. So yeah, it's kind of all over the place, but that's how I like it. Like I like to coach a variety of individuals and it kind of keeps it spicy and interesting for me. (laughs) Yeah. What does your personal running look like right now? Um, Right now, I would like to say I've just been in like chronic baby making phase. Yeah. Yeah. Understand (laughs) that. Keep moving while I'm pregnant and then, you know, move as best as possible between the pregnancies. But we've decided that Madeline was our, our last little baby. So now I'm kind of finally able to come up for air and be like, okay, now like, what do I want to do with my own training and racing moving forward? So that's kind of exciting. I'm just starting to kind of let those like dreams and visions that I had to, I don't want to say like put, put aside, but like, you definitely have to accommodate. You can't be like, Oh, I want to do this goal and I'm eight months pregnant. Right. So, um, and I think, you know, for any woman that's pregnant, like no matter what you do before you're pregnant, like there's this element of uncertainty after pregnancy where you're like, I hope I'm okay. Like, I hope something's not broken beyond repair or like, you know, it's just, there's so much uncertainty. So now it feels good to not have that uncertainty and be like, okay, like I can try to move forward and like set some goals. And I I love that. Like I love competing. I love racing. So I can't wait to get back to it. That's awesome to hear. I feel like one of the uncertainties is like not knowing where we'll want our priorities to lie, right? Like Mm -hmm. you want to think you want to get back after it or whatever it is, but like will you feel that way after the babies or baby or however many it is? Like, 
So hearing you say you're excited now that you guys are like, okay, we're done yeah. with this is, is encouraging. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. And I've, I mean, I've definitely like ebbed and flowed with that, not like motivation, but just trying to figure out where those priorities align with my family. And I think that definitely the, the early months, like the newborn months I've recognized are like not a good time period for me to make that decision because you're just tired, you're tired, you know, like, and if you're really tired, like the motivation to set a goal or even fathoming, like having the time to like execute that is just feels to me like out of reach. It feels selfish. It feels out of reach. Mm -hmm. It's like all these things. But as that newborn phase kind of fades away, like it, I, I always feel like I start to get like the itch again where I'm like, okay, no, like we can make this work. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's like a full year and until I really feel like myself again, my, yeah. my best friend just had her first baby. She had twins. And I mean, I don't know twin tired cause I've never had two newborns at once, but she's so exhausted. And I'm, I'm like, you know, I've done this four times. I'm like, I, I might not know what it's like with twins, but like, I know you're so exhausted right yeah. now. You're so tired. And I wish I could like jump inside your brain and just say like, it's going to be okay. You're going to sleep again. These babies are going to sleep, you know? Yeah. It's, it's tough. I mean, now having had four, I look back to when we had just our daughter and I'm like, Oh, like that was that was like nothing that was so easy. But in the moment, yeah. I mean, she was crushing me. Like mm -hmm. I remember crying just for no reason. And Chris would be like, why are you crying? And I'm like, I'm just so tired. Like, I don't know. I'm just crying because I'm tired. Like there's no, I'm not, I'm not upset about anything. Like I just, there's tears coming out of my eyes and it's just because I need to sleep. So yeah, I get it. It's, it's hard. And I think too, with your first, like you just, you're learning it all and like everything feels more stressful than it does after you've been through it a mm -hmm. few times. So it's tough. <laughs> I remember my mother-in-law telling me like I, her reminiscing on having her babies and thinking, feeling like she was the only person in the world awake, you know, at 2am, like she's just all alone in the world. And her telling me that made me feel comfort because a, I knew that like, it's not true. There's other moms or dads up with their babies right now. And like, you know, 30 some years ago, my own mother-in-law felt the same way. Yeah, it is. And I think one of the great things about social media is just kind of maybe women starting to be like a little more vocal about the ins and outs of the, the pregnancy time period and, you know, those early months and the postpartum just sharing their own journeys. It's like, um, it's just very validating or normalizing to somebody else who's going through it. So it's been kind of cool to see that evolve, especially in the past few years. And even seeing, you know, professional runners like share like their struggles and their injuries and their sleepless nights. And um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Hey everybody, a quick break here to let you know about Viore. If you are not already wearing the Performance Joggers by Viore, you gotta go check them out. They are my favorite comfy pants to wear. I have them in three colors, black, gray, and this like foresty green. What I love about Viore is their products are incredibly versatile. You can use them for almost any activity. 
and they're stylish enough to run to Target or do whatever you're doing in them. They're great for yoga, running, any kind of training, and Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint. They are also reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond. They are utilizing better sustainable materials for their products and empowering your best active life. So the women's performance jogger, I mentioned that softest, comfiest pants you'll ever have. I also love the Sunrise High Neck Tank. I love tank tops with a high neck these days. I'm so into that. And my husband has, I think like four pairs of the, I think it's called Core Short, K-O-R-E. Those things are awesome. This is also a super awesome gift idea if you are looking for gift ideas for the holidays. I feel like their clothes are simple enough that you really can't go wrong. Like that you wouldn't be like, oh, that's not my style because it kind of can be anybody's style. So I think Glenn's going to be getting some of these shorts for Christmas. All right. So go to Viori, that's V-U-O-R-I.com slash another. And not only will you receive 20% off your first order, but you can enjoy free shipping of any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to Viori.com slash another and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. And that's V-U-O-R-I. All right, friends, back to the show. Um, okay, I want to dive into your story with running and just kind of your history a little bit in case the listener hasn't followed along with you over the years. Um, you, you've been running for a very, very, very long time. A long time, yeah. <laughs> Grew up in Wyoming? Yes, I grew up in Wyoming. Um, I come from a ranching rodeo background and family. So that was kind of my first um, introduction into like sport, I guess. Um, a lot of people probably wouldn't consider that sport. But oh, it totally is. It's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up with my dad professional rodeoing and kind of following him around to rodeos and just um, – having that realm was like really instrument instrumental in my, in my upbringing because it, it wasn't just about like my dad rodeoing. It was like this whole community that we were a part of. And so I, I look back and I'm like, wow, I was so lucky to grow up with that kind of community. Um, and just seeing my dad do something, you know, with excellence and, and competing and like trying really hard. And he had a full-time, you know, job on the side, of course, because rodeo is like sink or swim when it comes to financially supporting yourself. Um, but it, it was just, I don't know, I can look back and I can really appreciate that. And I see a lot of overlap with like the running community. So I think that, you know, as I got older, I, it's what has kind of pulled me back into the running community, even when I haven't been able to like run or train or compete myself. But um, I'm like, uh, it just feels good, right? It feels good to have like community um, outside of like your neighborhood. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of, that was a big part of my upbringing. I had two older sisters and they also ran and played basketball. So I was, I rodeoed and played basketball and that was like what I lived and breathed when I was in my younger years. That is, I mean, that is so badass that that's what your dad did. Like that is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, pause. Do you, 
not pause. We're leaving this in, but pause on the story. We'll get back to. Did you ever watch Yellowstone? I've never watched it. Really? But only because I've had several people ask me. Um, I just I need time to watch it. You yeah. know, like I'm like, oh, it's someday intense. like I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna watch that because I've had several people ask me. Um, so I'm pretty curious now. Yeah, I mean it's a really intense show, but being from Wyoming and like the rodeo scene isn't like a huge part of the show, but there's definitely some rodeo in there. And I, I think someone that came from your up, upbringing and background would be like, okay, this is like way over the top or, you know, whatever, but I maybe still feel like home to you. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious because um, I've had people ask me like, is this embellished or like, <laughs> does this really happen? So uh, now I need to check it out for myself. Um, I feel like, probably just from the little bits I've seen as advertisement, like maybe the, the ranching side of thing is like, <laughs> it's definitely a lot more like simple and calmer lifestyle yeah. than probably is portrayed. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, I love that comparison, for lack of a better word, with the rodeo community and the running community and how they kind of like parallel each other. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. And as I've made my kind of own journey through running and kind of landed myself personally, like in the mountain running community and trail community, um, I'm like, this is why this feels so good to me. It just, it's very like simple and stripped down and like values that I think are important. And I want my, my children and my family to uphold. Um, it's, they're two totally different worlds, but they're very, they're very similar in that regard. And um, I I think that that's why I find, find myself at home in that community. And, um, and, and I want that for my kids. I want them to, to grow up, like remembering how that felt and how, you know, the, the lifestyle that, that people in that community lived. So different different from the days of Stanford and running in the Olympic trials on the track and just a different speed huh yeah it is and I would say that you know that type of running is just it's definitely you have like your support system um it's very singular focused Mm -hmm. and self-focused maybe not necessarily in a selfish way I think it can be in a selfish way um but it's very different than like the mountain trail running community where it's just, it's more about like exploring these areas and doing it together and selling, celebrating one another. And um, it's, it's definitely a lot more relaxed too, I would say. Um, But I think they're all valuable and I love coaching athletes that are kind of like anywhere in that spectrum. But for me personally, I'm like, this is where I want to (laughs) be. That's so interesting that you say that. Like, it's self-focused. It doesn't have to be selfish, but it can be. I've always thought that about endurance running. Like, when my husband trained for the one, like, full Ironman that he did, we kind of were just like, this is too much. Like, (laughs) you are not a professional athlete. And it was, like, so great for him to achieve that goal and execute it well. So glad he did. He's so glad he did it. But it's, like, that lifestyle is so all-consuming and I was just at the Chicago Marathon um, interviewing some retired professional runners at the expo Mm -hmm. and like the main common theme I got especially from Wesley Career and Abdi 
Abdurrahim, which we'll talk about him. I know you're, you know, Abdi well, um, was just that like, you have to have a deeper purpose. It can't just be about you running fast times and you crossing the finish line first. Like what is the purpose beyond it? And are you having fun? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because I think anybody that knows Abdi would say like, he's definitely still having fun. Like he's like a 10 year old, uh, trapped in an adult body. That's like still having a lot of fun with what he's doing. And, you know, you bring up Wesley and he like, he, I know him from Flagstaff and he lived with me for a little while and it was like pretty incredible and inspiring to see like what his why was and what his greater purpose was and um, how he's used running for like his community, um, you know, his family. Like it's, I, I always felt like he was like using running and I don't say using like in a, in a negative, negative way, but like using running for like, a greater purpose and a betterment. He, it, it was a means to an end for him. And it was pretty cool to see that. And, and I don't know, just watch him, you know, go out there with like a different focus than just like being a fast runner. Yeah. I wasn't in tuned with his story until I was prepping for the expo interviews I was doing and I'm floored by yeah. all the incredible work that he's done. And he's also hilarious. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's go there. That's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, is your love for hospitality and, and welcoming people in. And I read Abdi's book. I interviewed him last summer or the summer before. I can't remember it all goes together, but um, he talked about you a lot and he talked about your late husband, Ryan, a lot in the book. And Mm -hmm. it really introduced me to you more than anything ever has. Yeah. Can you talk about that and that time in your life when Ryan passed and you opening your home to all these runners and did that help your healing? Did it delay your healing? Can you just share about that? Sure. So Abdi knew Ryan long before I knew Ryan. They were kind of an interesting little like couple. (laughs) (laughs) How so? They just had this unique little relationship um, where I feel like Abdi was like the little kid and Ryan was like the more serious older brother. And um, they, you know, they train a lot together and Ryan would keep Abdi in line and Abdi would keep Ryan from taking himself so seriously. And um, yeah, they're just kind of this funny little running couple uh, training partners. And they knew each other through what at the time was Coach V Hills training group out in Mammoth. And so when I met, um, when I met Ryan, um, I think that the the group had kind of splintered a little bit and we ended up living in Mammoth and then eventually moving to Flagstaff. And so naturally Abdi gravitated towards, um, you know, bunking up with us and our place in Flagstaff. And after Ryan passed away, um, And I, you know, was trying to kind of find my way through each, each day. (laughs) Um, You know, one of the things that my family proposed to me is that maybe it would be a good idea to um, buy a home in Flagstaff that was bigger than what I needed for myself, kind of with the purpose of continuing to be immersed in this running community that had been so important to Ryan and I, um, 
it was a weird way to go about it, but it made sense for me having grown up, you know, like I mentioned in this, you know, bigger rodeo community. And we always had people living with us um, always. Like my family always had, you know, whether it was like a hitchhiker that my dad brought home or cousins that needed a place to stay, like, or people that were on like the college rodeo team. We just always had a full house. Um, And my parents were so generous with having an open door. And I, I loved that. Like growing up, um, my family, my family didn't consider like my sisters and I a family. It was like whoever was under our roof was part of our family. And then once they, once they were there, like that, that never changed. And so, um, so, you know, buying a home where I hosted other athletes was like, I was so exhausted. I think in hindsight, I can see that just, you know, walking through the loss of Ryan and that, that grief, you know, like it doesn't last a month or two months or a year. Like it lasts forever really. And I was just so tired, I think of like trying to maybe appear or seem like I was doing okay. And like, you know, you know, Alicia's doing okay. Or like, (laughs) um, I just, I, I don't know. I just felt like I needed to kind of hold it together. And so I think that having that home and having other people there and kind of shifting the focus to, you know, hostessing or um, helping facilitate other people's training, like it just, I don't know, it was like, it, it helped me. It was like, it was a, it was a good way to keep me from just being totally isolated in the pain that I was feeling. Um, so <laughs> it opened the door to like all sorts of craziness and different types of people and personalities. And, um, it was, it was a blast. Like I met so many amazing individuals that, you know, just happened to be in Flagstaff or whether they were friends that Ryan and I had or people that I had never met, like somehow I was just quickly like inundated with all these athletes that needed a place to stay in Flagstaff. So it, it was wonderful. I mean, it was like, I look back and I'm like, wow, that was super weird that I did that. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm so glad that I did. And the only reason that I transitioned away from that is, I I don't know, I want to say it was probably like, after seven years of doing that. Wow. When I finally started dating Chris, it was just kind of like, okay, that was like a good phase of life. But now like, I need to move on, you know, and like sit down at a dinner table and not have, you know, eight other people. At the <laughs> dinner table. Like, like we couldn't even really date, you know, cause yeah. it was, just, it was like a different setting and situation. So yeah, it was a really cool phase of life. I definitely, I have, um, you know, I, I was like trying to pour into other people's lives, but really like, I think what they were doing is like doing that for me at a time at a point of need that I had. That's so beautiful. What a unique life experience. (laughs) Someday I need to write like a book of short stories. You totally do. Yeah. (laughs) You need to just write a book. (laughs) Your life. I mean, really. Uh, Um, What do you want listeners to know about Ryan? That's a great question. Um, I think that 
one of the hardest things of losing somebody that you love is that there that loss and that person is like with you every moment of every day but then the rest of the world moves on and it's just a strange feeling to feel like that person that you that that is right there with you is like forgotten about um or not talked about um and so I think that, you know, anybody who loses someone, you just want that person's memory and character to be, I don't know, to not be forgotten. And moreover, for Ryan, like, I knew it at the time. And then in hindsight, I look back and I'm like, wow, like, what a man he was, you know, and really embodied like so many things that like I'm still like aspiring to like to live by or like you know live up to just the way that he lived I think you know a lot of stories that people will tell about Ryan are about what a hard worker he was and how hard he trained and how hard he raced and all those things are true like absolutely like there's no embellishment like he was the hardest worker I've ever known and ever met and so incredibly tough but that same quality that he had that you saw come out in his in his running performances he also carried out in like his relationships in the way that he cared for people that he loved and to me like that is worth remembering and that is worth trying to emulate you know like he loved so hard and he cared so hard for the people that were important to him and I think that you know with the busyness of life and the stresses of life like it's so easy to just forget like that one simple thing like the people that are your people like you should be pouring into them like they should know how much you care about them and how much you love them not just by what you tell them but like how you show them that and with Ryan, like, I don't know. I just am like constantly like going back and like learning from things that, you know, he really like set as an example for me and I'm sure for other people as well. Um, and just that like loving hard, you know, like work hard. Yeah, that's great. Like that's, that's very exemplary, but like loving hard is, is something that like, I feel like most of us could do better at. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's like this is a running podcast, but I feel like these messages are, this is why I started this podcast, like for yeah. the, these messages, like this is yeah. what I want to talk about. And um, I think that's so beautiful. And, you know, you were so young. Yeah. How old were you when Ryan passed? Um, I was 25 wow. and he was 28. So yeah, in hindsight, I was young, but I didn't feel that way. Like Mm -hmm. part of me kind of felt like, you know, like a constant battle I had was like kind of feeling like my life was over, Mm -hmm. you know, like this is, this is the end. And now I just need to like figure out a way to like kind of exist (laughs) for the rest of my life, you know? And I, and I knew that that wasn't the right way to live or to think about it, but that's definitely like was a constant battle for me. Like I never, fathom getting married again. Mm. I don't think I even took off my wedding ring until like 
six or seven years after Ryan passed. Like I just felt like I was married and, and Ryan was gone, but like, it still felt like that, that bond was so strong, like irregardless of him being there or not. So I, I never fathomed myself dating again or getting married or even having a family, like, which is super sad to me now to think back. But I was like, no, like that is done. Like Ryan's gone. And so these are, these parts of my life are like, just they're over as well. Um, So I look back and I'm like, wow, it's like a miracle that I even started dating again. And, you know, um, found somebody like Chris, who I can't imagine like a more perfect individual to like kind of meet me with all that dysfunction and, you know, all, all those things that were just super tough and still are super difficult. Um, he's been so loving and gracious and understanding about that. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so, so thankful for that. But I think that with loss of a spouse, like it's just, it's, it's really difficult. And I don't, I don't know that if it's like talked about very much, or I know for me, like I felt like a lot of shame, which is a weird thing to feel um, because it had nothing, his death had nothing to do with me. It wasn't, you know, my, my fault. Um, And there was nothing I could have done about it, but there's like this shame of feeling like a widow. That's at least how I felt. Um, so I, yeah, I look back and I'm like, wow, I can't believe that I even ever was able to transition away from that. It took so long, but, um, I'm super grateful that I did because I look at my family now and I'm like, you know, I had this gift of like having this really special love with Ryan and then the tragedy of that being taken away, but like the gift of like getting to experience that again in a very different way with Chris and my family now, like, I feel very blessed for that. <laughs> I mean, this feels really cliche to say, but it's it's everything he would have wanted for you. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I'm sure that he would have. But I like, I was so adamant that I'm like, no, like, I can yeah. never go there again. Like, I, I'm married. Like, I'm a, I, I felt like I'm a married person, even though my spouse isn't here. Like, I couldn't have fathomed that. So, um yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I look back and like, I, I can, there was like a specific point where that I had like a shift in how I thought about it. And it was actually, I was running with Sarah Hall, who's been a, you know, a longtime friend since high school. And I was talking to her about this situation where my, um, my family had tried to kind of like set me up with somebody like set up a situation where this person would would ask me out on a date and I was so offended Mm. I was I was so angry that they would even think that that was like something that I I wanted you know I was like like I said I like still had my wedding ring on like somebody's asking me out for a date and I have a wedding ring on I'm like this is just it's so weird it's so bizarre and I was like telling Sarah like how mad I was about it and I really expected her to be like yeah that's horrible I can't believe they did that to you and and Sarah was like but like why like why would you expect that there can be 
healing in like any area of your life. Like if you break a bone, like the bone can heal. Um, you know, if you have like a car wreck, like you can eventually like heal from those injuries, but like, why not like your heart? Like, why can't your heart heal enough that like that could be a possibility in your life? And I like, it like blew my mind. Like I couldn't, I, I was so confused by what she said, but I'm like, she's right. Why can't a heart heal in a way that like you can make room to love somebody else you know like it just it makes sense now but it was just that one conversation that like kind of shifted things that you know I think then when I met Chris like I was I was it I wasn't ready but I was at least like okay I at least see that there's a possibility if that makes sense (laughs) that that is so special that she felt comfortable enough to kind of push you in that way and kind of like encourage you in that way because that's a really uncomfortable thing to do and yeah people want to hold you for like with fragility because yeah they don't want to hurt you absolutely yeah but sarah is a straight shooter so it's if anybody's gonna like tell it to you how it is it's gonna be sarah so (laughs) she's just good to have friends that can speak directly to you right Hey, everybody. I'm so excited to share that I'm going to be going back to the Donna Marathon weekend in Jacksonville, Florida. This is the weekend of February 3rd through the 5th. And this race supports the Donna Foundation, which helps people who are walking through a breast cancer diagnosis. It also funds research. And it is the most fun race you will go to all year. It's got a great community of support and it's run on the beautiful beaches of Jacksonville, Florida. You're not on the sand. Don't worry. You're running in the roads, but it starts and finishes right by the beach, which is really super cool. This is a really special race. I go every year. I think this is my fifth or sixth year and I will go back every single year because it's the best. And I'm going to have a meetup down there, which I love to do. So go ahead and get this on your calendar because you have plenty of time to train for it now. And it's a great time to go down to Florida where it's not cold. So you can save 10% off your registration when you go to breastcancermarathon.com and use the code Lindsay10, that's Lindsay10, to save 10% off your order. And uh, I really hope I get to meet you and see you down there. I'm gonna keep going back every year, but go ahead and get it on your calendar for 2023. It's gonna be a great year in Jacksonville. All right, back to the show. Um, and Chris, I mean, that's such an interesting way to enter into a relationship, him knowing the tragedy you've been through and having to like handle that with such care. And he, he clearly wanted to, you know, be in a relationship. How did you guys actually meet? We met through, um, so he was running. So Chris has a pretty interesting background where he, he was um, a cyclist and that was his you know background in sport and competition and then he kind of spiraled into a really long phase with just battling alcoholism and and cycling kind of faded away with that downward spiral of alcoholism and so when i met him he was three years sober And he had started running as part of kind of his, um, his process of sobriety. 
And I think it started like pretty casually and then progressed into like, you know, that he was still a competitive person from his previous cycling days. So he started running more and kind of getting more involved in the sport and ended up doing some trail races and ended up on the Nike trail team. So right around that time that he was running for the Nike trail team, I had also kind of evolved my um, kind of my process as a runner. Initially, after Ryan passed away, I I was like full on 110%, like training so hard to numb myself, to cope, to, you know, just all of these unhealthy reasons. I was like still training super hard. And then my body broke mm. and I didn't run for a number of years and um, just had all sorts of issues. So even when I had this house full of runners, I wasn't a runner competing myself. But as I was able to kind of like heal and put in the pieces to get back to running, I naturally started back to like road races and um, track races. And I didn't like it at all. I had no taste for it. I felt it was it was really strange because that's all I had done like my whole young adult and adult life. And as soon as I was able to kind of like fight my I mean, when I say fight my way back, like it took years to get back to like getting my body healthy again. And then, you know, finally I get into the starting line of some bigger races and I was like, I hate this. Mm. I, I do not like this. This is not for me. It, it was really weird. Like I, these are I short races. These are like road races. Yeah. Road races. And I, yeah, I just, I didn't like it. I, I was an emotional mess. Um, I think, you know, Ryan and I's relationship there was like a strong connecting point in that we were both competing and that was like a big part of our lives. So then all of a sudden when I like went back to kind of doing that, there was just this massive hole and empty space there. And I also like, I didn't, I just didn't like like the singular focus. It just wasn't for me anymore. It was sad and it just, it didn't fit. And it, so it was kind of weird because I'm a runner. I'm always going to be a runner, but I just had this huge disconnect. And so, um, you know, through some friends in Flagstaff, I kind of was introduced to running on trails and running in the mountains. And they twisted my arms a couple of times to like jump into trail races that they were doing. And so that's where I kind of felt like I fit, like I would, it like made me really happy. It was so different. And, um, and it, like I said, at the beginning of our conversation, it just really reminded me of that community I grew up with, where it wasn't so much about the performance outcome, but it was more about this like entire experience. And of course, I'm a competitive person, like I wanted to do well, but like, it was just a shift in perspective and focus that was like, really refreshing to me. So long-winded way of saying that like when I met Chris that's kind of where I was where I was like curious about this like trail thing and so I contacted him to see if he had a connection to like what the Nike trail team was and like who was in charge of it and so that was kind of like our point of contact is I was like hey I see you're on the Nike trail team like can you tell me more about that or connect me with the manager and then um yeah. And then it kind of like took off from there. So. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that that's how it 
it happened. Like you contacted him about something just totally nonchalant, running related. Mm-hmm. Wonder if he was like, hmm, what's going on with her right now? Yeah. Well, and interestingly enough, I had like sent him, he said, oh, I'll pass along a bio or something to the manager. And it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't work. Like it, something about the attachment wasn't working. And so he just ca- called me to like help me get the, um, the information through and then we talked for a long time and then he came out to Flagstaff for a visit and then he drove home and packed up his stuff in Colorado Springs and moved to Flagstaff. Wow. So. <laughs> did you feel like an instant connection on the phone? Definitely. Yeah, we both did. And what does that what does that look like in your marriage now as you I know you've you've been open about this on on social media sharing. Um, I don't know. It was was it the anniversary of Ryan's death or his birthday, something important and mm-hmm talking about how, you know, this is something you carry every day, but you have this love for Chris as well. And like, how do you, how do you marry all that and, and walk every day out? And he probably has to hold it like, you know, super carefully. Yeah, he does. And I have, I will always have like the utmost respect for him for even trying because I, you know, when I look back, I'm like, oh man, I was like such a mess. Like I, I just, had all this brokenness and, and I still do, but like, I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so much more progressed, but man, like the, at the starting point, I'm like, man, he is brave. <laughs> that yeah. He like even, even tried, but he has been so delicate with how he's handled that part of my heart and my background. And he's, he's always been that way, but losing Kai, I think, gave him a totally different perspective on what I had been through and still currently walk through, that that has been really helpful for him and for me, for him to just experience loss and like some of the some of the things that like you maybe you could read about it, but until you feel it yourself, like you don't get those nuances. And so you hear about a lot of couples that lose children struggling with their marriage and a lot of marriages end in divorce after child loss. And I'm so thankful for Chris and I, that it was actually something that really brought us together in a way that, you know, we didn't have prior to that. <laughs> um, so as horrible as it has been, that has been like one of the major things that I'm so thankful for that I'm like, I don't know how we got lucky that it has been something that has really knit us together more closely and also um, made it a lot easier for me to share about things from like losing Ryan. Um, So yeah, it's kind of messy, but we're doing it. And I feel like we're doing it as well as we could. And, um, and it's, it's, it's beautiful and it's messiness. (laughs) Yeah, there's there can be nobody in the world that can understand the pain of losing a child like the person you lost him or her with. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. What does the sobriety thing look like? I know I saw Chris recently celebrated, I think, 10 years of mm-hmm. sobriety. And what does that look like for you in your life? Like, did you decide when you started getting serious, like, I'm not going to have alcohol anymore in my life? How do you guys um, handle that? Yeah, when I met Chris, it was a really, um, it was a really big part of 
kind of his current identity and also like how he had to operate. Like there was like a lot of, you know, triggers or things that would, that were difficult for him or different types of environments. Um, And now like he's so far past that, that it's not, those kind of things aren't really an issue. Like if you were to go to a bar and like sit down with friends, like that's not a big deal to him, but at the time it, it was. And so, you know, part of being in a relationship with him I was like, this is just, this isn't healthy for him right now. So like, I don't, I can do without it. Right. Like, it's just like liquid in a cup. Like I don't need to have it. We don't need to be around it. Um, And so that was just kind of an easy decision for me. I didn't really think much of it. And probably a lot of runners have gone through phases where you just don't drink because you're training, right? Like it's not that big of a deal. So like, if you are willing to do that for a race, like why not more so for somebody that that's like a, you know, something that has been like a huge stumbling block in their life. So, yeah, so it's, it's evolved over the years that like now he's, you know, he's very comfortable in how he needs to live his life, but it doesn't bother him what other people around him are doing. I still don't drink just because I don't feel like I'm like, if there's a tiny percent chance that that was difficult for him, like why it's not worth it. So yeah, that's kind of what it looks like currently. And he's, you know, fully sober. I know some people feel like they can later in life, like have a drink or two here or there. But for him, he's like, he just is completely sober. And that's um, how he feels like he needs to to carry forward, you know, especially like when life is stressful or, you know, difficult things happen or even like losing Kai. Like, I think it's very natural for anyone to just want to fall back on something that's like destructive or something that just helps you cope with the pain. And so that was like really amazing to me how steady he was with like his sobriety through that time. Cause I could see how it'd be so easy to just be like, ah, whatever, you know? Um, but yeah, he's, Chris is an amazing man and amazing father. And um, it's pretty cool what he's done. Like, I don't think I really understood what, you know, one year of sobriety, three years, five, 10 years meant until like really getting to know him. Like that's a, that's a big deal Really big for someone that struggles with addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations to him too. 10 years must feel like a really, really big deal. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Um, So you've had four babies in five and a half years. Mm-hmm. After your first baby, you set the record for rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. And you have placed really high at the Olympic trials twice. Mm-hmm. This is so much life experience. Big time races, big time endurance events, babies, loss. If you kind of like tied it all in together, what are the lessons learned from from running and, and life and, and grief that, you know, if if you were to look someone in the eye that is about to go through all that you've been through, the highs and the lows, what would you want them to know? That's a really great question. And I've thought about that a lot um, in regards to my 25-year-old self, you know, and if I could have spoken to myself at that point in time um, or to somebody, you know, that was going to face something really difficult. And I really think that the most important thing that I would say is that it's 
okay to be broken and to grieve and to have it to be sad and it's okay to walk through that and to not have to like hold everything together or make an appearance of being okay. Um, And I know that that's like a strange message, especially in our culture, because so much of the messaging is like about being tough and like moving forward. Um, And I think that that's a really toxic message actually to somebody who is walking through loss and grief. Um, I think you need to be in a community and support system where you can like let down and not be okay. Um, So many of my struggles since then through, you know, Ryan and Kai and, and my dad and just that all, all the layers of, of difficulty, like I was like, fighting the whole time to like be okay and and I just I don't know I think it's okay to not be okay and whether that's because of grief or mental health or physical health or difficulty in your marriage whatever it is like I think it's really hard to take the steps to move forward and be healthy that are necessary if you can't first be in the place of just being broken and not okay and asking for help or allowing people to help. Um, And yeah, I look back to my younger self and like, I can see so many years of, you know, physical issues um, and relationship issues that were just caused by just me just trying to be strong, you know? And like even a lot of the friendships I had suffered because I don't think people knew that I was like in a bad place and I was having a hard time and it just appeared to be like, you know, me not being responsive or like me being a flake or, you know, whatever it is. Like, I don't know. I just think a lot of people are in that place of just holding, trying to hold things together. And so I don't know, that's, that's my perspective, obviously from like my own personal experience. But I think if we just let down more often, we could actually like take the steps to like, start the healing process a little bit easier. It's so hard to do, like to just let it It, all completely fall. Yeah, it is. It really is. And most of us, and especially most endurance athletes, are like not good at asking for help or acknowledging weakness because it's kind of an antithesis to like being a strong athlete. But, um, you know, it it, it doesn't have to be, either or like you can be strong within being broken, you know, like that you can still be strong, but like, yeah. Um, so I know that's probably like not the standard answer of like something you would think, but that's just kind of my heart towards people that are like walking through any sort of difficulty is like, it's okay. Like you can be sad. Like you can be devastated. Like you can be in a bad place. Like, allow yourself to be there and then like let yourself be surrounded by people that care about you. And then like, let's figure out a way to like take some small steps forward. I think that's beautiful. Okay. We have to wrap. I don't want to, but we do. Um, And I always feel like it's such a weird transition to say, what's something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet after such a deep Deep, no, it's actually, that's a great question. Real conversation. But I do think it's regardless of if it's a canned end of podcast question, 
um, for everybody that I have on the show. I think it's really relevant and exciting to hear given the nature of the conversation we've had about, you know, like now that you're done having babies, like what now? Yeah. Well, professionally, I'm one thing that I'm um, really focused on right now and kind of want to create space for in my professional life is I, I love coaching all different ranges of athletes. Um, but now having been through this, you know, crazy postpartum and baby phase for so long, like I just really have like a special place in my interest and in my compassion for women that are in that process. So I really want to create space professionally to start working with women that are in that phase of life because it's super confusing. You don't know what you should be doing. You're guessing most of the time. It's stressful. You don't know what to do to, you know, keep yourself healthy during pregnancy, how to put your body back together after. And so um, that's really exciting to me. I really want to kind of um, lean more into that and try to figure out a way to help more women through that process. Um, Athletically, like I, I just want to get back to racing. Um, and I also want to try something new, which is ski racing. So I'm going to try some ski races this winter now that we live in Breckenridge and, you know, it's just this like amazing mountain Mecca and we spend about six months of the year skiing, um, mostly skiing. And so, yeah, I want to start ski racing, doing some ski mountaineering races this winter. That's so awesome. Uh, what is the best, most recent book you've read? I just started reading um, Stacy Sims' um, new book because uh, it's called All In because I have several women that I coach that are kind of going through that perimenopausal mm-hmm. phase. So it's just kind of interesting to me and I want to know how to better help them. So I, I really liked her first book. So now I'm starting to dive into her second book. I love that. I actually just interviewed her on that topic because – Oh, we did like a pre-menopause t- yeah. one and now we, I was like, we have to get into perimenopause and menopause and I have that recorded. It hasn't gone out yet, but, um, oh, I can't wait, to, wait to listen. Yeah. I find it super fascinating. And I think that we just do ourselves such a di- disservice by just not paying attention to the specifics around a being a woman, but B like what decade and phase of life are we in? Yes. Yeah, and I am I totally agree. And Stacy Sims has really um really kind of blown up a subject that I think has just been like so unknown. And um she's a former Stanford alumni as well. So nice. I have like a particular uh, bias towards her, but man, she's doing some great work that's gonna help women athletes of all different phases for sure. Um, okay. Two more questions. Who's someone fun, motivating, inspiring? or inspiring you would like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? Not a cocktail. That's a question, but I would have to say I would really love one more long conversation with Jack Daniels. Um, He was my coach, and he was the coach of the Center for High Altitude Training in Flagstaff when I first moved there. And, man, he – he is an interesting guy and has like the craziest stories and he's just a character. And, uh, I really miss those like long conversations on his, his couch. So I wish I could have one more of those. (laughs) Man, you're like depth of people that you have interacted with and been in relationship with in the running community. Just it's deep. 
Yeah, I've been super lucky to meet some great people for sure. And Jack is definitely high up on that. Jack and Joe V. Hill are yeah. like, man, they're, they're something else. That's awesome. Um, last message to leave with the audience today. I would just say, you know, going back to kind of what I was saying before, I don't know, we're, we're so connected in so many ways now with social media, but I think a lot of us are also like very isolated in our difficulties. And, and I would say, you know, if I had like one thing to, to kind of preach to myself and to other people, it would be just to find ways to get connected and to like pour into other people's lives and let them pour into your life. I think that most of the issues that we have can be dramatically lessened or dampened by just that one thing. And that's what I want my kids to learn too. You know, I I don't want them to just try to be like great athletes. Like I want you to be excellent at whatever you do, but like, I want you to care about other people and, um, and let other people care about you. I love that both ways. Yeah, both ways. You got to let people in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Alicia. Yeah, thank you so much, Lindsay. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Alicia, for coming on the show. You all should go follow Alicia and give her a big hug on Instagram. She is Alicia Vargo over there. You can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. Also on Twitter, at Lindsay Hine. And you can learn more about this podcast and everything we talked about when you go to sandyboyproductions.com. The show notes to this episode will be over there. And you can also just sign up for our newsletter. And the show notes can be delivered to your inbox every single week. Thank you, Inside Tracker and Viore, for supporting this podcast. Go to insidetracker.com slash another to save 20% off for a limited time with Inside Tracker and go to viori.com slash another to save 20% off your order there. And I also hope to see you at the Donna Marathon weekend, February 3rd through 5th in Jacksonville, Florida. All right, we've got three new episodes coming out next week. We're really loading them up. Two more Chicago episodes in the regular Friday. So I will look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks so much for being here. Have a great Friday, a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, we'll see you next week.